0: God is such an amazing communicator. That shouldn't surprise us, right? Are you surprised that God knows how to communicate well? (laughs) I mean, he created us to be able to speak. He speaks. And he points out how much the spiritual life, the soul life, the invisible life, is important, he highlights it all the time. But we have a tendency to forget about that because we can't see it. We don't we don't see the spiritual, the invisible, so we often kind of ignore it or we forget about it. But God's always shouting through creation, through, through the, through the Word of God, the Bible, through the living word, through Jesus Christ that we read about in the scriptures, through uh, God's people, when, when they serve him and, and follow Christ, he's shouting out there, I'm here, I know you, I care about you, I've given you life, listen to me, hear me, trust me, follow me. And when you believe in me, Your life is gonna be different. You're gonna have new purposes. You're gonna have a life that doesn't end. You're gonna be doing things now that are going to extend and have effect and bring me glory into eternity. Sometimes we have a hard time believing that, but that's Jesus's invitation to us, to join him in kingdom work, to know him, to enjoy him, to serve him, to find life to the full as we surrender just like we just sung. Surrender to him and his will and his ways because they are good, they're glorious, they're better than what we can create alone as human beings in this world without God. We're doing an eight-week series on fruitfulness on the front lines. We're using the book of Colossians to kind of guide our thinking on how God wants us, desires us, created us, Individually and then corporately together as local churches, as people together, and, and our local church with other local churches who follow Christ to work together to bring God's glory. Where's your front line? My front line's a little different than you. Where I spend most of my days? Terry's not here today, so I can talk about her a lot. Oh, you should see. No, I'm the one who gives Terry a hard time. She fixes things. Your front line is your workplace, your home, your family, the school hallways, the neighborhoods, the playgrounds, the gym, wherever we spend most of our time, a lot of our time. Those are our front lines, and God's put us there to use us to bring glory to him, to spread the glories of his name. So whether we're scattered individually to our different places during the week, when we're gathered here, we're to be doing, learning, living together in ways so that others can taste the glories of God's kingdom that's coming, that's here now, but not in all its fullness. So they get a taste and want to follow him. We're talking about six Ms, and, and Mark, if you'd put that up on the screen now, six Ms, and today we're focusing on modeling godly character, clothing ourselves with Christ, and, and that's kind of the focus of the scripture verses that Phil read this morning. Modeling godly characters, the first M, the other ones are making good work, ministering grace and love, molding culture, and and on is a ministry that's trying to mold culture in a godly way. Coming in front of our culture and saying, wait, slow down. Let's rethink about life and its sanctity and how holy it is and special it is. So they're speaking into that and trying to mold culture to be more godly. So thank you for that work. And we're so glad to be a part of that. We want to be a mouthpiece for justice and truth, messengers of the gospel, messengers of God's good news. Last week, we talked about Jesus being the vine and we being the branches. That's a picture of fruitfulness, and I'm going to refer to that in just another minute. Today, we're going to be talking about clothes, (laughs) about taking off old clothes, old garments, the old fashions, our old life, and putting on the new. And that idea is picked up in the Colossians chapter 3. So I'd like to take just a few minutes again and do the big picture. Who is Jesus? Well, in Colossians, we're in Colossians chapter 3. If your Bibles are open or your phone app's on to your Bible, look again in verses 15 through 20 of Colossians 1. Who is Jesus? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn or the number one person, the preeminent one over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that at everything he might be preeminent, for in him all fullness of God has been pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So, Jesus, who is Jesus? He's the creator of all things, he's the agent of creation. If you look back, go back in time as far as you can go, Jesus. Is there because he's God and before time was created before this world was made he was there and he created it he has no beginning he has no end he is God so Jesus is the agent of creation if you look back in time as far back as you can go to the Garden of Eden when human beings were created when evil and sin and death came into the world. Jesus was there, the agent of salvation, and he declared that he would have a crushing victory over Satan, sin, and death. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he was the promised deliverer, the promised seed who would come and restore and make all things new. If you have have one of these old-fashioned Bibles, keep your finger in Colossians and go to John 15, because I just want to remind us again in this series of being fruitful for God on our front lines that we need Jesus. In verse 4 of John chapter 15, he was telling his disciples, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need to be abiding, connected to the life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you connected to the vine by faith? Have you believed in him? I would say to you today, believe. But not only that, we need Christ because by abiding in him, then I can be fruitful for him. Listen to his vision for us, John 15, verse 15 and 16. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Are you a friend of Christ? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my father's name, he may give it to you. So are you connected to the vine this morning? Are you believing in Christ? Are you a follower of Him? Have you put your faith, your trust in him for salvation? Because he is your creator. He's the one who's given you life, and he came to redeem you, to restore you into relationship with God through his death on the cross. He's the agent of salvation, and he invites us to not only be connected with him and have new life, but then to be fruitful and provide that life, to be an agent through which, through us, through his power, we can lead others to his kingdom life as well. How many were here for the ABF this morning? Oh, a few hands. That's great. So this is review. If you weren't here, you missed a good talk. John Elcock was speaking. And I'd like to talk about Grace Chapel's purposes and our vision for just a few minutes. So if you could put, oh, yeah, thank you. And Mark dressed up my slides. Thank you, Mark. Life together at Grace Chapel, what is our end goal? Well, our vision is, our dream is that every attender here, every member here, let me put a little bit broader, everyone who comes in through our doors and hangs out here for a little while will live, be living the hope of Jesus's gospel, Jesus's good news in, in their communities, their front lines, wherever they are. That's our big dream. That when people come here, whether they attend regularly or, or walk in our door for a little while, become members, hang out here for the rest of their life, that everyone, when they leave here, when they go out to their front lines, they're living the hope of Jesus's gospel. That's our big dream, our vision. We know God wants us to be doing that. So, what's, so why do we exist? What's our mission then? How are we going to accomplish that? Well, that's next that our attenders and members will be making disciples who know, love, and serve God in all context of life. And there's that head, heart, and hands things, that they would know God, that they would love God, and then serve God. So we, we have this big dream that everyone that comes through our doors would know Christ, love him and serve him, sharing the gospel wherever they are. That's our mission, to make disciples who know, love, and serve God. And what guides our mission? Our values guide our mission. So we teach the word of God. We're Bible-centered. We seek God, we worship God, we're learning, we're praying together. We're building nurturing relationships, we have fellowship, we're connecting with Christ's people. We're equipping believers to go serve Christ to discover and exercise their talents and gifts for God. We serve in our communities on our front lines of living. So whether we're scattered, when we're scattered, when we're gathered together, we're trying to accomplish all these things. I hope that helps clarify why we're here this morning as well. Jesus, you see, is the key to us individually and corporately succeeding and doing all these things because he's our creator and he's also our savior and he's the one who's inviting us to serve him. Through Christ and his power and his grace, we go. Big picture. A little bit of review from last week. So what motivates me to live for Christ? Second point, if you're following along in the bulletin outline. Well, we have this clothing picture. We have the vine picture of being connected to Christ so we can be fruitful for him in John 15. And in Colossians, the apostle Paul uh, in in chapter 3 describes clothing. It's through belief in Christ that we receive a new character, a new, we become new creations. We have a new wardrobe. Then you have a hard time deciding what to wear today. (laughs) How cold is a church gonna be? Did that affect anybody? Yeah, I see some sweaters out there. Your coats are still on. Yeah. Well, by the Spirit's help, we now have the ability through God the Spirit's power, because of what Christ has done for us in his death, burial, and resurrection, we have that life living in us when we believe in him to serve God. Warren Worsby says it this way, take off your grave clothes, the old clothes, and put on your grace clothes, your new clothes that you have through faith in Jesus Christ. Put off And put to death, and in verses 5 through 10, we didn't read those, but it says in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, too, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and after the image of its creator. Wow. Put off and put on. Negative traits, sexual immorality, wrong sex will not bring you an upgraded life. We often think it will, but it won't. Greed, covetousness, more stuff, doesn't necessarily make life better. You know, there is a proper place for sexual desires. I mean, it's a gift from God. But he's put a border around it between a husband and a wife, male and female. And in the others twisting and not proper. And he wants you to enjoy it in the right place because he's a wise creator. And material things aren't wrong. Otherwise, Job was a really big sinner. And so was Abraham and King Solomon. They weren't wrong, but There's a right place for them and not trusting in them more than the God who provides. So we're to put off the old, the old grave clothes, as it were, the the clothes that are preparing us to be in a place separated from God, the dead, where no real good life is, but to put on the new clothes. Look at verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Positive virtues of Jesus that will have lasting impact. I'm going to come back to that. Who we are and what we have in Christ, his enabling grace, is what motivates us, gives us the power and ability and the desire to be more like Christ Look at verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Just remember who you are in Christ. Let it sink in. Chosen. He didn't make a mistake. He called you. And he's made you holy. And through faith in Christ, as guilty as we are, yet God sees us through, through Christ because by faith we are in him, we are blameless. Now, there are earthly rules that humanity pushes on us, and not all earthly, worldly rules and laws are bad, right? As a matter of fact, some of them reflect God's orders, Ten Commandments, pretty well. So there's this common grace that God gives us, but there's a lot of things you experience out there in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, even in the home, that aren't so godly. Uh, You've experienced them. You've practiced the world's rules of getting ahead at all costs. But God's rules apply everywhere, don't they? They don't change. They apply at the church when we meet here, And at work, they're the same in public as they are in private. They don't change from the living room to the locker, locker room. It's like the qualities of Christ go, are to go with us everywhere. We're to be putting those on. And by God's grace, we can. Our motivation to become like Jesus is rooted in who we are in him. It says that in the first three verses of the chapter, you've been raised with Christ, so seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Jesus is dead, separated from all the temptations that he faced when he walked this world. They have no power, no no way of getting to him anymore. He's in glory. And now that we are in Christ, we are pictured or put in a position where we're separated to God, too. So those things are not supposed to have the power and authority over us like they did before we knew Christ. We no longer have to listen to Satan's voice. We no longer have to answer the call. When temptation comes, we can plead for help. We have the spirit. We have the word of God. We have one another to help us turn away from those things, to take off the old and to put on the new. So we need to change into Christ's wardrobe, putting on Christ's clothes, his virtues, his good character. Be compassionate because you're chosen, holy and beloved, verse 12. Put on compassionate hearts. You know, there's no on and off switch for that. I have to be compassionate when I'm in church or with God's people, but when I go here or there, I don't have to be compassionate anymore. It doesn't work that way. Put on kindness, because the kindness of Christ is what saved us. So kindness is a tool in God's hand to be used to help others be attracted to the teachings, the character, and the saving work of Jesus Christ. Put on humility because it's not natural to put on humility in the morning. (laughs) The spirit and God's word helps tamp down our pride, our prejudice. Put on meekness. That's power. Meekness isn't weakness. It's power under control. So a breeze, medicine, a colt. They all have this beauty to them, right? A broken colt, a breeze, but a breeze has power. The wind can turn into a gale. Medicine's great, but overdose, it becomes harmful, deadly. A colt. Under controls, a wonderful thing. I, I don't like riding horses. I've had some bad experiences, you know, trying to rub you off in a tree. They didn't want me on their back. But a colt breaking free, bucking its rider, those are powerful things. Power, but meekness is power under control. It's calmness instead of flying off the handle with hurtful words or hurtful hands. We're told to put on patience because we're an impatient people, because we're used to getting things fast. We didn't have internet for a whole day at our house. (laughs) That's pretty tough. (laughs) Does that that count as a cross (laughs) to bear? I I don't think so. We're very impatient because we want it now, and we're instant, and we're told we deserve it. Put on bearing with one another. Some translations, so it putting up with one another. We're to put that kind of clothes on. Not, that doesn't mean you don't confront people when they're going the wrong way or they're being mean. You don't confront them with the truth and, and move them along to better things. But we need to learn to put up with one another, because we all need to be put up with, right? All these things characterize Jesus Christ. In verses 15 through 17, it says, well, verse 14, What ties them all together? Love, the love of God. That came down and is changing my life is to tie together so I become more like Christ. As I love God, I, I can begin to love you a little bit better as I understand His great love for me and who He is and what He's done for me. This one who's chosen me and made me holy and blameless and called me to be fruitful for Him. Wow, that motivates me, that love to be let us peace rule in my heart, to be thankful. Speaking. In songs and hymns and spiritual songs and my worship and everything, no matter what I'm doing, it's revealing who God is. Helping one another put on Christ's virtues. But that can only be done when we're abiding in Christ and abiding near one another, people who love Christ. Let me just illustrate. I'd like to go to an Old Testament story that we're familiar with to illustrate putting on Christ's clothes. It's an Old Testament story, but it still applies because God was there. And King David, we're told, was a man after God's own heart. And he wrote in the Psalms so often about God's heart and how that was changing his heart and his actions, and how he was putting on God's clothes instead of his own. Turn with me, if you would, to the Old Testament, the First Samuel, chapters 24, 25, and 26. It's been a while ago now, and I was just reading this story again this week, and it reminded me of putting on godly clothes. I put it this way, a funny thing happened on the way to a disaster in the making. <laughs> a godly woman wearing Christ-like attitudes on her front line saved David from a mess. David, a man after God's own heart, needed help from, being, from another God-fearing friend. David needed help being clothed with God's wardrobe of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. So 1 Samuel, excuse me, 1 Samuel, chapter 25, it's no accident that the story of Abigail and David is stuck in between chapters 24 and chapters 26. Now, that makes sense, right, numerically. But you see, in chapter 24, David was being chased by King Saul. Saul was trying to put him to death. And Saul came into a cave to relieve himself. And David and his men were hiding in that cave. And all his men are there right behind David saying, God's given your enemy into your hands. Kill him now. Get him. And David was about to. And then he got convicted. He was wearing God's clothes. The spirit of God was working in his heart. And instead of killing Saul, he cut off the corner of his robe. When, Paul, when Saul left, David came out of, the, out of the cave when Saul was a safe distance away and said, Saul, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't because you are God's anointed. I'm trusting God. Like God judged between you and me. The Lord will avenge me at the right time. I will trust in the Lord. He was wearing God's clothes. He was letting God's clothes guide his life. Applying them, aware of them. Chapter 26, again, we skip chapter 25, we'll come back to that. King Saul went back on his word. He's trying to kill David. Saul's sleeping in his camp, surrounding by his troops. David sneaks in. The men with David wanted to put, take Saul's spear and thrust it through him right there in the ground. God had put him into a deep sleep. David said, no. Take the spear, take his water jug. We get a safe distance away. I say, Saul, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. He was wearing God's clothes at the time, guarding his heart through the grace of God, through the word of God. But what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 25? The story of Nabal and Abigail. A different story, a different David. Why? Look at verses nine through thirteen of chapter twenty five. When David's young men came, they said this to Nabal, the name of in the name of David, and they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who's the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who who I don't know where they're from? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on a sword, and every man of them strapped on a sword, and David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David while 200 men stayed behind with the bag. So David is angry. And he's about to kill Nabal and wipe out his whole tribe of people. He wasn't going to leave one person alive in the camp. At least no boys were going to be left, no men alive. He was going to wipe that family out. David's assessment of Nabal's character was correct. He was a bad guy. He was a jerk. He was was just mean. I mean, Abigail said that about him. Nabal's own servants said that about him. You can read about that in chapter 25. And David's saying, when David said, let's put on our swords, we're going to show this guy who, who he is. We're going to put him in his place. He's a jerk. And his men weren't going to, they were in an echo chamber. I mean, you can picture it, right? Ladies, you can have some fun with this. Testosterone's kicking in. Yeah, yeah. let's go. We're going to get this guy. We're going to be men. David, we're fi- finally, you should have killed Saul. These guys weren't going to tell him not to do. Finally, you're picking it up and doing what a guy ought to do. You're the king. You're a leader. Go do it. Get this guy. Show him who's boss. And then this godly woman. Yeah, a woman. <laughs> what? Ladies, please be kind to us men. She intervened with godly advice. She intervened. She was wearing godly attitudes. It drove her actions on her front line. She was about to get killed. She she got food together. Everything that David wanted. She was a wise woman. She came alongside God's man in need and said, listen. Rethink this. Calm down. Look at verses 32 through 34, chapter 25. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion. Blessed be you. You have kept me this day from blood guilt, from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there would have not been left to navel so much as one male. The point's this. We need Jesus. And we need one another to help us follow him. By knowing his word, by sharing together, by talking about it, by praying for one another, being open and honest, and saying, God, I'm a jerk. I need your counsel. I need others to speak into my life to help me because I'm so easily led astray. Nurturing relationships, fellowship. We need Christ divine. We need one another to help us take off the old, the old attitudes, the old ways, the world's ways, and to put on the new heavenly ways because on our own we're weak. And the devil, and the world, and our own flesh, our own personalities are nipping at our our heels, these things, pulling us away. You notice this board up here? That's our prayer board. And I wanted to introduce this final thought today, how much we need one another. Mark, would you show that first slide up on the board? Thank you. <laughs> you, you detail people like this one. <laughs> All of us have 168 hours in a week. Let's say we sleep 48 of them. So that leaves us 120 hours. And most people can give 10 hours per week maximum to the church. Let me tell you, it's mostly less than that. And I, I, 10, 10 hours is a lot for volunteers. That leaves 110 hours per week for work, family, and leisure. Where do you spend your 110 hours per week? So let's look at it a day at a time. Next slide, please. Yeah, I like this one. I like blocks. It's simpler. You got your morning, you got your afternoon, and you got your evening. Seven times three gives you 21 blocks. That's your front line. That's where you spend your time. The rest of it's hopefully sleeping. So how many of those time slots are you willing on those front lines to commit to God? Where's your front lines? Where are you spending your mornings? Well, a lot of you are at work. A lot of you are at work in the afternoons, a lot of your evenings. How much time are you going to give to volunteer work in ministry in your evenings? If If you're doing three or four, you're maxed out. That's crazy. Anyway, what I'm just saying is, think about how God wants to spend your time. I'm not asking you to add something else to do to your list. What God is asking you to do is, where do I have you? God's saying, where do I have you, and how can you be fruitful where you are? Working, playing, recreating, helping, serving others. Would you begin to pray about that? Because there's the next slide, please. We want to. Want you to think about next week. We're going to have some forms for you to fill out. You know, where's my neighborhood? Is that a front line that I like to do better at serving God? Is it my vocation? Do I where I'm working? Can I be on the front line there? How can I begin to pray for that education? uh, You know, the bus stop, volunteer work. You know, all these different places. We're going to be asking you to pick two or three of those places that you would begin to ask God and others to pray for you. And you're going to share those prayer requests in the board, maybe, so that others can begin to pray for you on your front line, that you can come together and help one another do God's work together on your front line, helping one another be clothed with compassion, with kindness, with wisdom and help, just the way Abigail did for David. Let me close with those thoughts again from John chapter 15. Just remember our calling. But you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit will abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Are you in Christ? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you taking advantage of the opportunities to clothe yourself with Christ's virtues? What steps will you take this week to learn what those virtues are of Christ and how you can put them on? How will you help someone else serve God, know his salvation? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you today, our creator, our savior, the one who knows us inside and out and yet has called us and through faith in you makes us holy and blameless. Lord, in your mighty strength, give us hearts of obedience. Open up our eyes to understand who you are so it motivates us to follow you with all our heart and then to do your bidding on our front lines where you've put us intentionally, knowing who we are and our gifts. Lord, show off your mercy and grace through us, we pray. Change our minds and our hearts so we trust you more, so we have courage to admit our need, to confess our sins to one another so that you can go to work and take off the old clothes and put on the new. Lord, help us to follow your ways. Help us to produce the lasting fruit that will bring you glory forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.